I'd like to uh, begin with a number. The number is 860 million. 860 million. Uh, that is not today's lotto jackpot. Um, that is not my gross annual earnings. Uh, and my guess, not yours either. 860 million. It's how many words the average person will say in their lifetime. 860 million. And so uh, with that heavy reality, which I'm drawn to numbers and stats like that, uh, it starts to beg the question, what percentage of those words goes to particular topics? So just as a, uh, a little bit of a case study, not on yesterday or last week, or the last 100,000 words. Let's just take today, okay? So I'm going to ask some questions. I would like you in a moment of vulnerability to be as honest as you possibly can about these questions, okay? By raise of hand, how many of you, okay, spoke today in some way, shape, or form about the weather? Raise of hand, some kind of form about the weather came out of your mouth. Okay, several of you, all right? It's a pretty, pretty solid percentage, uh, I know no one's talking about uh, this these days, but let's, let's see. Uh, how many of you said something that had some sort of political slant today, one way or the other? Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. A few of you. A few liars as well in there. Uh, how many of you uh, said the word at some point today? Again, I, I know it's a day after Valentine's Day, so forgive me for asking this. But how many of you said some form of the word love today at some point? How many of you guys? Okay, right on. Uh, it's funny, yesterday I was talking with someone and they're like, oh my goodness, this was last night. Uh, this was a, a husband uh, of a wife and has children. And like last night at like 5.30, you know, I was like, hey, so what are you doing? And, you know, I said, hey, I'm, we got, you know, we're doing some family Valentines. He's like, today's Valentine's Day? So he was, uh, he's going to be in for a rough one. Um, just out of curiosity, uh, anyone else just have a topic that you think would, would be a, maybe a dominating issue that some of us or at least most of us talked about today? Sports. Okay, how many of you guys said some sort of sport comment today, whether about the Cardinals, the Cubs, uh, the Rams, RIP? Okay, some of you guys. Any others that you think a lot of folks talked about today? What's that? The justice system. Okay. All right. Let's go with it. Okay. How many folks talked about the justice system today? Okay, three, not so much. Um, 860 million words. It's crazy to even just for a second begin to imagine all of the different things that we'll talk about. And, uh, and just even in proposing that amount of words, um, I'm already overwhelmed with how much I long for the majority of those words in my life to be centered uh, around the person of Christ and the work of God. And yet the realization even coming to me now uh, at times on how uh, frivolous my conversations can seem. This is significant uh, in particular to our conversation tonight and uh, I want to invite you into the roadmap. We've been studying the book of Joshua, and tonight we're going to cover chapters, plural, okay? We knew going into the book of Joshua that there would be a point in time uh, when the land begins to get separated out, uh, that we could do a good job of summarizing, not doing the, uh, any sort of injustice to the word, but just taking all these chapters where the tribes are given their inheritance and begin to do some summarization. So um, as it was planned out this past summer, tonight we are studying, hold, brace yourself, we're studying chapter 13 to chapter 21 all in one night, okay? Um, so we have hired some extra ML Kids workers, and so they're just going to go ahead and put your kids to bed for you, and all is well. So that said, um, if you guys can open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 13, and uh, I just want to invite you into what will be, uh, I hope, an incredible journey through the significance of words. Now, 
You also have a, a literal roadmap that was put on your seat that will kind of help you understand some of the territory uh, that we're talking about. But I want to begin uh, just by showing you a few of the pieces in chapter 13 that are very, very significant. So I pulled out just, just two verses, really, in this chapter that shows you where we're going here. In Joshua chapter 13, verse 1, after all of this journey, and it's been a long one, the Israelites have come a long way. They've fought a lot of wars. They've killed a lot of kings. They're now ready to inherit a lot of land. And verse 1 tells us, now Joshua was old and advanced in years, which is a very kind way of saying he was elderly. And so maybe we should adop- adopt that sort of language, right? We say often here that our, our folks who are a little bit older are seasoned. Uh, I also like, you know, because it's very biblical, they're advanced in years, okay? Feels like a very, you know, kind way of, of putting that. I love that. Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years, which I also appreciate God's bluntness to Joshua, okay? There's no getting around this, right? You have a lot of gray hair, brother. It's all good. You're, you're seasoned. It's, it's a blessing. And there remains yet very much land to possess, the Lord tells Joshua. Now, I told you when we began this journey that Joshua was probably uh, 90-ish, plus or minus. We know he dies at 110, so he is definitely seasoned, And God comes to him after all of this journey that the two have been on, as Joshua took the reins of the nation of Israel and leading them across the Jordan and now in through all this battle, God says there's still a lot of land. And and so the command in verse 7, if you were to skip down in chapter 13, is God saying this, now therefore divide this land for an, what's the word there? For an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of of Manasseh. And I want to pull out a couple things. If you're referring to your map, you'll see that there are a couple tribes that are on the east side of the Jordan River. Those were tribes who negotiated with Moses previously for that particular spot of land because it was better for raising cattle. Okay, so those two and a half tribes settled there. Uh, we already saw this actually in the early parts of Joshua. For the other nine and a half tribes, They're getting ready to inherit the rest of that map in the colored portions. Now, inheritance is an interesting word. Um, My guess is some of you are um, somewhat maybe even pridefully or you'd be ashamed to admit how anxious you are to receive an inheritance from your family. And the reason why you're ashamed to admit it is because often it takes the death of someone to receive said inheritance, right? Uh, if you watch the news, you, you see that people are murdered over uh, the inheritance that is awaiting them. Um, so the word inheritance is interesting. It's going to show up 50 times between chapter 13 and 21, those nine chapters, 50 times. And the reason why it's so significant and it's, it's so uh, beneficial for us to understand tonight is that inheritance is a gift. Inheritance isn't earned Inheritance isn't uh, purchased. Inheritance isn't won. Just like what we've been saying since the Battle of Jericho, it wasn't Joshua that fought it, okay? Much to, the, uh, much to the chagrin of the Sunday school song, it was God who fought the Battle of Jericho. It was God who fought the battle in Ai and all the other battles. And so to inherit a land and for God to give the land means the Israelites, yes, they have obeyed. Yes, they've been faithful, But it is God's promise to give them this inherited land. And and so he's going to do that. Now, chapter 14 is vastly significant. And I want to walk through a few more passages from chapter 14 than chapter 13. For you'll see the very poignant reason here in a second. Next slide. So in verse 6 of chapter 14 of Joshua. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, which has been kind of the hub, the main camp thus far. And what's the word there? And who? And Caleb. Now, Caleb is a very, very significant figure because there were two spies that came back and reported to Moses many years ago that it was okay for the nation of Israel to inhabit the land. Those two spies were Caleb and who else? Joshua, that's it. Okay. So the first one to speak up 
about receiving his inheritance is our good buddy, our good buddy Caleb, who has been waiting on this moment for many, many years, okay? And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, uh, the, Ken, the Kenizzite, said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. And I just have to imagine, like, it's interesting to watch how people greet one another, right? Like, girls greet one another in a particular way, and guys greet one another often in a particular way. And so often, guys greet one another, like if John and I were greeting one another, generally we would do like the, you know, the five and then the wraparound, right? It's just natural. It feels good. Like we're, we're, we're still feel manly because we're giving each other a five, but the wraparound says, I love you too. You know what I'm saying? So it's, can we just do it right now? Because I'm feeling close to you. C- come here, bro. Come here. Let's just, there we go. Just like that. Mm. And sometimes, and sometimes I just like to hold it a little. Thanks, bro. I love you, man. Appreciate that. So I, I picture, I picture like this moment. I'm not saying, I'm not saying Joshua and Caleb did just that. Maybe they had like their own special, you know, thing, but. But this is one of those moments where these two now advanced in years men are remembering something from their past. And it's, it's, it's overwhelming to me how beautiful this moment is because of how much they've endured. And it could seem like Caleb is anxious to get what maybe he deserves, but I think he's just anxious to see God's promises unfold. And so I picture these two brothers. Hey, remember what Moses, the servant of God, said? Remember how all this played out when the two of us came back and told the nation of Israel to inherit the land? It's beautiful stuff. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. 40 years old. A lot's happened. And I brought him word again. And it was, I love this, in my heart. In other words, it wasn't just information that Caleb brought back when he said, we can take this land. There was something that had happened inside of him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say there was a faith and that God could provide inside of him that caused this beautiful stuff to happen. In verse 8, it goes on, but my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. The other 10 come back and say, no, no, no the, the armies are too great. The people are too big. We, we can't do this. And so because of that, listen, 83% of the spies that come back die in the wilderness. 83%. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I, I love this, wholly followed the Lord my God. I did exactly as he described, exactly what he wanted. I wholly followed. And Moses swore on that day saying, Surely the land on which your foot is trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Beautiful language. Check out how this interaction continues in verse 10. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. This is now an 85-year-old man, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old, which I I, kind of laugh at because it might be his birthday. You know what I'm saying? Like, I did a little bit of the research here on the Hebrew. I can't tell exactly if he's saying, like, if he's like, you know, like some of you do on your birthday, you're like, slip it in to some conversations. Oh, yeah, man, it's going to be a long day today. Well, how come? Well, you know, it's... It's my birthday today. I, don't worry. I, I know you maybe didn't get me anything. It's cool. Okay. I don't know if it's his birthday or if he's just saying I'm 85. Either way, it's cool. Okay. Verse 11. I am still, check this out. How many of you would love to say this at 85? I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. <laughs> Isn't this awesome? I mean, I already don't feel as strong at 37 as I did when I was 30, let alone from now to 85. Okay. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. Listen to this. Imagine this. We get this image through all these battles, the conquering of 31 kings, you know, that it's just the youngins that are out there. I think this uh, makes a case that Caleb was out there with them. We know that Joshua was leading them. But is it possible this 85-year-old man, Caleb, wanting to see the promises of God, trusting that God would provide, is out there rolling it? Imagine your grandparents fighting wars. Pretty incredible. If we go on to verse 13, then Joshua blessed him. And he gave uh, Hebron to Caleb, the son of uh, Jephunneh, for an inheritance. 
Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, uh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Look at your map and look here on the screen. This area of Judah is a big area. It's a big old inheritance right there. Okay. So the first inheritance, you can see on your map, that light shade of green is what, is what Caleb inherits. The, the obedience of an 85-year-old man. Let me put this in perspective real quick. It's one thing to have 40 years old with Joshua come back and tell Moses we can go. And it's a whole other thing to live faithfully for 45 more years. I'm going to trust God then. And I'm going to keep trusting the Lord. I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight. Listen, can you imagine? He doesn't have many years left. Joshua doesn't have many years left. But can you imagine the worship, the awe of God that's happening inside this advanced in years man as he gets to watch all that God had promised come to fruition? When we see the promises of God in action, it does something inside of us that causes an awe of who God is. So, if you are unaware of all of the promises of God, which are way more than just the Israelites gaining an inherited land, the scripture is packed, filled with them. So if you aren't aware, biblically, of the promises of God, let me make sure you understand something. You are missing out on a tremendous gift that you have to see how God will always fulfill his promises. Which is why the end of chapter 21, so we're going to skip from chapter 14 to chapter 21. How's that for a summary? Okay. Next slide, the end of, of verse 21 in verse 43. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it, And they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. And then verse 45, which is on the bottom of your map, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. That's the summary of chapter 13 to chapter 21. The entire word of the Lord came to pass. There's not one thing that failed. And so what those chapters show you is exactly what's on your map. A land that's inherited. A land that wasn't won or purchased by a people. But a land that was given to them by God. Now, this verse is significant not just because of the celebration of the promises of God, but because of where this begins. Check this out. Next slide. Genesis 15 is a conversation between God and Abram or Abraham. And the Lord, he brings him outside and he says to Abraham, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And what the scripture says, later quoted in the New Testament, Abraham, he believed the Lord and it counted it to him as righteousness. And what happens later in this chapter is Abraham falls into a deep sleep and has a dream and a vision of all that God would do, including sending the nation of Israel, allowing them to be enslaved in Egypt. I'm just pointing out, we're far away from Genesis right now, but this is... This is the promises that the scripture is talking about. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before. And we lack patience for 20 minutes. I'll speak for myself. I lack patience for 20 minutes. And the nation of Israel had to wait hundreds and hundreds of years including 430 years of slavery in Egypt, including 40 years in the wilderness, including eating food from the sky and drinking water from rocks. They had to wait all of that time for the Lord's promise to show itself, to reveal itself, 
to come to fruition. What I'm asking, are any of you growing weary? Are any of you getting tired for the fact that Christ has not returned yet? Is it creating a doubt in you? Right, like some of you I know are like, well, the disciples thought Jesus was coming back and you know, those people that lived 200 AD believed Jesus was coming back and a thousand years after that, that Jesus was coming back and here we are. And he hasn't come back yet. What is his problem? Well, I wanna, I wanna help you see something that's very, very biblical here. God works on his timeline and not ours and we need to tonight be very, very thankful for that. Everything that he said would come to pass, he will come back. I'm not, I'm not challenging those of you who are wrestling with some of those doubts. I think those things are natural. Instead, what I want you to see is in the freedom of Christ, we can release those doubts to the hope of what we can be assured in in the return of Christ. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years between Father Abraham and all things coming to pass in Joshua 21, and not one word of the Lord had failed, and that has not changed. It's why we preach God's word. It's why we talk about God's word. It's why we funnel to God's word when people are struggling or in joy in every situation of life. Everything you're going through has an answer in the word and the person of Christ. Every single problem, every single issue, every single duress that you endure. Everything comes to pass. Now, next slide. Last week, this is what we saw, okay? This was one of my favorite graphs that I've ever had to build. Uh, so I, I had to copy and paste it just for one more week, right? Because I didn't want to spend all that time making those red boxes for nothing, okay? 31 kings for Joshua, two kings for Moses, okay? Some could say that Joshua was a better warrior. Uh, this was all in the Lord's hand, though, okay? And the, the reason why this image was significant for us is because we saw that, that studying all of these fallen kings was a shadow for us, a setting up for us. Uh, it made it understandable of why God would choose the nation of Israel, take them on a long journey, release them from slavery, see them conquer kings, now receive an inherited land so that we could sit back hundreds of years later and say, okay, it's one thing for God to show that he's king over all of these kings, but, but we have a different opportunity. And we looked at Revelation 19 when Jesus does come back and on his thigh and on his robe will be written the king of kings and lord of lords. So if that was last week, if all these conquered kings we're a shadow setting up for us an opportunity to understand. Then, next slide. What, what about this week? These 12 tribes of Israel coming out of the lineage of Abraham, inheriting the promised land. Like, what does this mean for us? Like, like how are we to see all of this as some sort of shadow, as some sort of picture Next slide, it's all summarized in this. Now, it's not rocket science. Um, I didn't have to look it up. Like, you can do the syllable test, right? Kingdom, you know. Kingdom has two syllables. Uh, king and dumb, okay? I did look up the root of dumb just to make sure I understood that. And again, if you're listening to the recording, I'm not, it's not D-U-M-B, Okay? I'm dumb. It's a dominion. Okay? It's the territory that the king rules over. All of these land that are given to the nation of Israel, inherited to all these tribes, it sets up this understanding of territory that is seemingly God's. God can conquer all these kings. He can give then all of this land to his people, showing the breadth, the width, the height, the depth of his kingdom. So that you and I could sit back hundreds of years later and say, oh man, the, the kingdom of God is really vast. I mean, look at all the land that he gave the nation of Israel. Or 
that we could tonight understand a completely different aspect of the kingdom of God. It's tough for us, though. Why? Next slide. Because of this. Okay? Have you ever wondered why Disney calls that magic kingdom? Right? Have you ever wondered why? Now, I've been to Disney. Any of the rest of you guys gone to Disney? Okay. Okay. I guess not. Are we... How many of you guys, by raise of hand, have been to Disney, right? Several of us. Well, we went when our kids, uh, just a couple years ago, were, you know, at an age where even the boys thought the princesses were cool, okay? And it it was. It was was special. Space Mountain certainly was a highlight. Uh, We enjoyed the walk around the park, the parade, you know, the night fireworks. And it does have this this sense of... um, of magic, I was, talking to, I was talking to Pastor Jared earlier, and he said, did you know that at Disney World, and he said I should have verified this, I didn't, so I'm just verifying it from him, he said, did you know that at Disney World, they don't even have like trash bags, it just all like goes down a chute, did you guys know, is this true, okay, anyway, either, it's irregardless, either way, okay, they call it Magic Kingdom, maybe not in their marketing scheme or in what they would publicize, But because ultimately, deep down, in every single one of us, we want to build and be a part of a kingdom that is ours. And so when you think about the Disney experience, that is the entirety of the Disney experience. It's helping you for one day, two days, three days, feel magical. Feel like out of your own skin gives you this like we're almost in heaven sort of mentality. And in so doing, only fostering what our flesh and what the enemy is screaming at us. You are the king or the prince or the princess and all that you have is your kingdom. So build away. And again, I know for many of us, we wouldn't say we're trying to build our own kingdom. But then when you stop and think about it a little bit, when you think about how much we buy into the magic kingdom mentality, you start to understand just how deep-rooted our belief in a kingdom that we can build is. And so what I want to do tonight is very, very biblically show you what the kingdom of God is. Can we do that together? Okay. We're going to rest in the scripture We're going to rest in the word of God. And I just want to invite you in this journey because the nation of Israel inherited this land to help you and I understand that God's territory goes far beyond the boundaries that your map has on it. So the description, let's start here, biblically of the kingdom. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us this. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving A kingdom that cannot be shaken. So let's just begin with a massive difference between magic kingdom and this kind of kingdom. If the right earthquake happened over Orlando, Florida, underneath Orlando, Florida, I'm guaranteeing you that castle would fall. Mickey would be no more, right? It's all going to crumble. The greatest kingdoms in history past, as you study them, it's like they're building just waiting to one day fall. The king just growing his territory to one day have it be taken away. Well, the difference, very, very baseline about the kingdom of God is it is a kingdom that not just will ever get destroyed, but it can't even be, listen to this, shaken. It can't even be moved. It goes on to say in Hebrews 12, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship because of this truth. Let's worship God then. Because if he truly is a king of a kingdom that cannot be shaken, dear heavens, we must go to him and no one else with reverence and awe, for I love this, for our God is a consuming fire. But how about this text? How about this? I love this passage, especially in light. Next slide of 840 million, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk. 
Oh, people can come home from Disney and tell us all day long about their magical experience, but the moment we begin to describe our experience of the kingdom of God, it's not even touching the power of the kingdom of God. Listen, aren't you thankful that you cannot fully grasp how powerful, awesome, majestic, loving, merciful, and gracious God is? Because in my grasp, it brings me to tears daily who he is. And yet I haven't even begun to understand him. And so when my faith is sight, when your faith is sight, imagine the awe, imagine the moment of worship, right? This is this kind of kingdom. Next slide. How about this for description's sake, okay? Jesus answered to Pilate, a conversation I mentioned last week, my kingdom is not of this world. The baseline understanding for all of us is if you want to try to understand the kingdom of God based on your understanding or our understanding of history or the magic kingdom or this king over here, you're beginning at the wrong starting point. Because the kingdom of God, Jesus says, is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm a different kind of king who's the king over a different kind of kingdom. Uh, Let me pause here and note that this was the problem. This is why people killed him. You understand? This is why people killed Jesus. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, the religious leaders, they wanted something else. They wanted a different kind of king. In fact, they thought that they would have the prominent seats at the kingdom of God. Why? Because they were the righteous. They followed all the rules. They did things right. They went to the synagogue. They could speak the scripture. And so when Jesus came and started saying, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God, it was starting, you could imagine, to rustle some feathers when Jesus started hanging out with the prostitutes. When he was meandering with those who no one else in society would, it caused everyone to step back and say, no, that can't be the king. Because the king I pictured in my mind looks like this. Is it possible, my friends, that in a much of your doubts, It's because you want God to look like this, and because he doesn't, you're struggling to accept who he really is. But what if in accepting who he really is, it would free you from the exhaustion of trying to create a God that somehow you can form in your mind? The description, though, goes on. Next slide, Matthew 4. Um... X this out for one second. I want to set this out. I want to set this up for a second. So Jesus is tempted um, three times in Matthew's gospel. And this is the last temptation from Satan. Okay? The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said that Satan to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him with the mic drop, be gone Satan. As if to say, what are you talking about? As if I don't and am not sovereign over all of this? As we mentioned last week, oh, he's the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The prince of the power of the air is Satan. But that that rule and reign is, is very temporary. And so Satan's like, here, look at all of this. Look at all that I have. It's all yours. And Jesus is like, what are you talking about? It's all, it already is mine. The only reason why you have power right now is because my father has allowed it and just wait till the end because I'm coming back with a robe dipped in blood and a sword coming out of, out of my mouth. I love this image. Okay. So in the description of the kingdom, we can build on many of these things. And I've, I've looked at every passage in the entire scripture on the kingdom. I feel like these, these four really help us understand from a descriptive standpoint what the kingdom is. Now, next slide. I want to move to a different arena. I want to move to who can enter it. So if this is the kingdom, it's not a matter of talk, but of power. It can't be shaken. Jesus is 
ruling and reigning and sovereign over it. It doesn't have territorial bounds. We use language like, oh, and there is another brick added to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God cannot grow. It already is. It already is beyond any of our understandings and to the fullest extent. Okay. But who can enter it? Scripture makes that very, very clear. Let's start here in Ephesians 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an adulterer, has no, what's the word there? Inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, some of you I know are slightly discouraged because you see yourself in that list. I want you to hang on. But I also want to make very, very clear if those sins aren't taken care of by the blood of Christ and your relationship with him, this is your reality. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. And who's the greatest example of that, my friends? How about all those who died in the wilderness? They had every opportunity to receive the promises of God. Caleb and Joshua come back. Everyone says, no, our hearts are melting. We're fearful. And what do they do? They don't inherit the land. It shows that God will keep his promises. You don't believe me? You don't trust me? Okay. Then you will die in the land. Next slide. We see another list in Galatians 5 as well. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, verse 21, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, if that wasn't an extensive enough list. I love Paul's language. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If your life is dominated by your sin and your flesh, if you're living to build your own kingdom in the pursuits of yourself and the glory of yourself and the setting up of your little magic area, then listen, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And I want to point you to the exact same direction of the Israelites. Our kingdom, the kingdom that is possible to inherit through Christ, is also not earned by us. The language hasn't shifted from the Israelites. It's still inherited. It's still given. It's still a gift. Are we together so far? Okay. Now let's take a slight turn to the right. Next slide, John chapter 3. Jesus answered him. This is right before John 3.16. Okay. Truly, truly, I say to you, he's talking to Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay. So if you were a little bit discouraged by the list, now this should prayerfully begin to provide some hope those lists are damning but jesus now is offering a way out unless you're born of unless you're born again which means if you're born again then you can inherit the kingdom of god now nicodemus struggled with this like many of you do right being born again like that's super weird like okay some of you guys who have been in the delivery room right you're like i don't know that i want to be born again okay like I struggle with that concept. Nicodemus did too, all right? But Jesus had a different point. That's why he later goes on to say John 3.16, which in context, now you understand. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life in the kingdom of God. Like this is the context. Now, one more turn. Next slide. Look at this in 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Hang on here. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Next slide. Look at this beautiful text. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So you were there. Oh, you were all of that list. You were some of these things. But let's just be clear. Anyone who's washed, sanctified, purchased with a price, paid the ransom of by Christ, those people will inherit the kingdom of God. There is nothing on this list that has anything to do with merit. There's nothing on this list about proving yourself to the Lord. It done been proved by a son. He showed himself to be righteous, 
perfect, and then in so doing became for us the perfect spotless lamb, the one sacrifice that could atone for our sin, the one sacrifice that could cause forgiveness for us. It was Christ. And so the kingdom of God cannot be shaken, and the only way to enter it is through Christ. That's it. There's no other way. No other way. Now, one note on that real quick. Um, What's happened in our culture is that they have attempted and are doing so um, even more than attempting, doing so somewhat successfully, of building the mindset that actually religion is just a bunch of separate kingdoms. And this kingdom has this God and that kingdom has that God and over here we have something else. And thankfully, the world has many different offerings for many different people, right? Because we're all different. We all look different and think different and have different upbringings. So, so thankfully, the world has offered a very diverse plate of worship. And what's happened in American Christendom and just Christendom in general is in fear of being known as intolerant, we're buying it. We don't want to appear like we're bigots. We don't want to appear like uh, we're haters. Uh, we don't want to get criticized and ridiculed that, you know, that, that somehow uh, it's the only way in Christ. And I just want to make sure you know what we're doing when we lessen the truth of, this, of the Scripture. Is we're just saying, yeah, God, actually, uh, all of these offerings, you know, it kind of makes sense, right? It kind of makes sense because what about this person that grows up in a family where they don't hear about the gospel? And what about this situation over here and this situation over here? But my friends, the love, mercy, and grace of our God has extended a way out of all of those earthly temporal kingdoms through one person, and that is Christ. And that is the only way out. It's the only way into the kingdom, and it's the only way out of our flesh. That's it. That's it. And so I just want to encourage you, the moments that you feel like you're being intolerant, it's one thing to hate people. And in so doing, unbelievably sinful and a poor representation of the Christ that you serve. But it's a whole other thing to stand for the truth. And the scripture says that in so doing, the truth will set you free. So do not confuse the two. Now, where some of you are at right now is, whoa, 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 we just, okay, let me get this straight. We've been studying Joshua kind of, word, you know, word for word. We just summarized a whole bunch of chapters. Um, next slide. To, to, like, to what end, right? Like, why does all of this matter? Now, I've been waiting, like, pacing around for this moment right now, okay? So if you came and you're like, man, I really hope he settles down. No, um, listen. <laughs> why does this matter? On Monday, I was um, down by the river watching the sunrise, scouring the scriptures for every single passage on the kingdom of God, one by one by one heart, just filling up. And one thing became crystal clear to me, and this is what became clear. Next slide. In Luke chapter 8, soon afterwards, he went on through cities with Jesus and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. In another portion of scripture, it says that Jesus proclaims that the reason why I came, the purpose for which I came was to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Next slide, this is just getting started in Luke 9. And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to what? That's right, proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Jesus' purpose was to proclaim the kingdom of God. He then sends the 12 disciples to what? Proclaim the kingdom of God. It's no surprise then that just after Jesus raises from the dead, check this out in Acts 1, I love this, he presented himself, does the now resurrected Christ, alive to them after after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, and guess what? No surprise, speaking about the kingdom of God. You would think at this point, it's like, okay, like I've died, I've resurrected, just, just take me now, Father. But instead, he continues to proclaim, to proclaim the kingdom of God. 
And so does Paul. In Acts chapter 19, when he shows up in Ephesus and everyone's worshiping the goddess Artemis, here's what happens in, the, in this massive conundrum in Acts chapter 19. Next slide. And he entered us, Paul, the synagogue, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about, that's right, the kingdom of God. Jesus, the disciples, Paul, all proclaiming the kingdom of God. Next slide. Let's say it this way, my friends. Our mission is still to proclaim the kingdom of God. It hasn't changed. Why are we studying Joshua? Why look at a big map with a bunch of territories and land? So that maybe... So that maybe you and I would have a second tonight just to realize that we serve a king who has a kingdom that has a territory with no bounds. And our mission is still to tell the world that he is king and that he has a kingdom and it's eternal. And the only way to him and to it is through Christ. So then the question is, what in the world are we doing? Next slide. Let's say it this way. Instead of proclaiming, I just want to propose a few things that I feel like we do. Instead of proclaiming, number one, we wait for someone else to do it. I'm going to put a tagline on this. Professional Christianity. Let's leave it to the professionals. Let's leave it to the studied. Let's leave it to the well-versed. Let's leave it to the articulate. Let's leave it to those who clearly have a a better frame of reference of biblical doctrine and theology. Do you know who Jesus chose to be his disciples? Do you know? Do you know what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians when he says he chose the weak in the world to shame the strong? In other words, at the moment you feel like a mere simpleton, praise God. At the moment, you don't feel as learned as you should or as smart as you, you know, as the, the next guy or as not as professional. Listen, these, most of these disciples were fishermen, fishermen, nothing against fishing except everything. These, these guys, these guys did not understand ideal theology or doctrine. Jesus, the, the Jesus showing them profound miracles and they're over in the corner chuckling about which one of them is the greatest. This is who they are. And yet somehow those 12 embrace the mission of proclaiming the kingdom of God and you're sitting in this chair. Think about that. So we wait. Instead of proclaiming, we also, number two, we wait for the relationship to deepen Mm-hmm. Now, let me, let me make sure we're on the same page here. The 90s coined a phrase, relational evangelism, as if there was another form. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Because what relational evangelism assumes is that those who are proclaiming the kingdom of God actually love those people. And so we had to, like, coin a phrase to build a relationship with people who we actually love and then therefore share the gospel with. Do you see the problems of this? We created a separate idea, a separate term, instead of just realizing, of course it's relational. Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom of God to people that he would die for. And he wouldn't even know them. He, he, He put himself on the cross. For the same people who are poking, uh, poking sticks and rods in his side. I mean, this is the premise of the gospel. And so, listen, I just, we just need to, I'm building this relationship. And listen, I understand discerning of the Holy Spirit's timing. I'm not downplaying that whatsoever. I just want to make sure you're discerning the Holy Spirit's timing and that you're not becoming the Holy Spirit. Are we together, right? Because what happens in our lack of courage well, yeah, I'm just, I just need another few years here to deepen the relationship. When, when you're submissive to a king and you're fully believing that he's the king and he's, he's got a kingdom and it's not of this world and the only way into it is through him, then, my friends, it's like knowing the cure to cancer and everyone's got to know it. Everyone has to know it. And you don't hate people if they deny it, but you continue, continually pray 
that they would finally surrender to it. And so I'm just saying some of you right now have relationships that you've been building for years and years and years and years. And the proclamation of the kingdom of God and who Christ is and what God has done through his son, it's waiting on what? You love them already. So why don't you show them that you love them by telling them the way out of their flesh? They are desperately in need of it. Okay. Number three, instead of proclaiming, we also, we also uh, wait until we feel less hypocritical. This is one of the biggest facets to our lack of pro- proclamation. Got to get things in order. Some of you were burned because you had tried to share, proclaim the kingdom of God many years ago and someone called you to task. Why are you telling me about God when I saw you last week? I saw what you did. I heard what you said. And so it still is rumbling in your heart. I'll never be able to proclaim God because I'm a hypocrite. It's only hypocritical if you proclaim perfection, my friends. If you say that you're perfect, hypocritical. But the very premise of the kingdom of God is grace. The very premise of the kingdom of God in in describing it to others is you cannot save yourself and only by the grace of God can you enter the kingdom of heaven. So please, please know this. Coming straight from a sinner, Paul said, of which I am the foremost, take it from me. I need his grace. You guys see, don't let the enemy confuse you any longer about being hypocritical. You need God's grace just like the person who you're going to be proclaiming to. Number four, how about this? Instead of proclaiming, we wait until there is minimal risk. We calculate, we figure it out, uh, minimal relational risk, minimal risk at my job place. I certainly wouldn't want to put my job on the line. I wouldn't want to put my, my neighborhood reputation on the line. I don't know about this on the line. And in so doing, calculating the risks by the very premise of the power of God, diminishing, diminishing who God is. Listen, what if believers across the world completely halted the calculation of risk and just said, God, whatever you want? What if we left all of that to him and we stopped with our calculators and we stopped with our mind games and we stopped just saying, all right, so God, you know, this, if this happens, then this happens. And if, you know, if they see me do this, then all of a sudden they're going to think this. What if we just got rid of all the risks? When Jesus told the disciples, the world's going to hate you just like they hated me, I don't feel like they understood it until they were holding their intestines. Maybe they didn't fully grasp it until they were being crucified upside down. But I'll tell you what, in that moment, they knew the risk and their perception of it was so unbelievably worth it. Why? Because they had signed up to die for the glory of God. So I just want to ask you guys, next slide, why in the world are we waiting? Jesus came to proclaim the kingdom of God. He sent his disciples to proclaim the kingdom of God. Paul embracing the proclamation of the kingdom of God, and that mission has not changed. One important day in history all of a sudden, um, a man who has um, nails in his flesh and who is beginning to suffocate, fluid is beginning to fill his, his lungs. He hears, does this man, the mockery of someone that's in a very similar situation. He hears uh, the man say, um, hey, listen, if you're the king of the Jews, why don't you save yourself and save us? He hears it, he processes it, and then he looks over. And he looks over and he sees a man 
And that man has thrusted in his skull a crown of thorns. And that man he has heard about has brought a lot of contention, has brought a lot of rivalry, but he can't stop thinking about what this other man said. And so with the crown of thorns in mind, next slide, and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, the thief says. In maybe one of the most profound moments in scripture, a thief summarizes the kingdom of God. He looks at a man with a crown of thorns. He watches the blood that's being spilt. He knows that he is fully deserving of his own death. And that man in that moment comes to believe that this man dying next to him is a king of a different kind of kingdom. That it's not a a golden crown of jewels. That it's not one of prestige. But he looks over in a moment of desperation in a moment of deep-rooted faith, and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom because he knows he has one. And he knows it's not of this world. It can't be. Look at him. No king would die like this willingly. No king would bleed out for those that he would serve. No, No king would put himself in that kind of sacrificial position. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then the Christ looks over to the man. And he says this. Next slide. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the hope of the message of the kingdom of God that we too, through the person of Christ, can inherit. The kingdom is filled with former traitors and former thieves and former idolaters and former sex addicts and former relational digressors and former you name it, former swindlers. The kingdom of God is filled with such as these. Why? Because they were bought with a price. The ransom been paid. And the opportunity to share in the inheritance has been offered. And so some of you tonight have spent your entire life trying to build your own kingdom. What if tonight Like the thief, you finally come to the realization that it's pointless to try to create your own when the one kingdom that matters already exists. What if tonight, all of a sudden, you called out on the name of the Lord and cried these same words, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And for the believers in here, those that have become silent and waiting and reluctant Hesitant to proclaim the mission is still ours. Let's stand together. The disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. And no one could have guessed the the makeup of that prayer and how kingdom of God focused it would be. And so tonight to come and in preparation to come to this table, the former traitors are welcomed at, the former thieves 
are welcome too. Before we come to the table tonight, all believers take a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup in the hope of Christ. Together tonight, let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Saying it in boldness, saying it in proclamation. Next slide, let's say this together. Come on. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Think about this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, come on church, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The traitors, the thieves, the idolaters and the grace of Christ come and share in the love and mercy of our God. Let's take this meal together, my friends.